Shalom, everyone. Thanks for joining me. This is Rabbi Yehuda Ben Shomer, also known as Pastor Chris Shoemaker, coming at you with another installment of the Rabbinic Pastors Podcast, where we're diving deep into the book of Genesis. And specifically, we're going to be dealing with Genesis 1-1 and Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. We're going to be talking about the constellations. You're like, constellations? What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with Genesis? I thought the constellations were some kind of, you know, Greek mythos. I thought it was some sort of like pagan thing. I thought it was some sort of uh, astrology thing. Well, God created the stars, did he not? The scripture says so itself. And whatever God creates, Satan likes to pervert. Whatever God institutes, um, the enemy likes to paganize. And that's exactly what has happened with the constellations. Now, it would be false for someone to assume and to believe that the constellations were an invention of the Greeks just to tell a neat story about their pantheon and about their mythos. But it was actually hijacked from God. Uh, there, there, there is the gospel story, the prophetic story, which is actually written within the stars itself. And once you get into the Word of God, it's pretty amazing how many times uh, specific constellations and specific stars and specific events that involve constellations and stars are mentioned in the Word of God. And we're going to be, you know, exploring a little bit of that today. Now, this subject about the constellations and the stars as it pertains to Genesis 1, 14 through 19. I'm just going to touch on it and kind of gloss over it. I'm not going to go super in-depth, um, but I, I, I'm still going to give you a little bit more than what you would uh, learn or glean or find out from uh, the run-of-the-mill uh, teaching on the book of Genesis. So let's dive right in. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. So in the beginning, Elohim. The word Elohim is plural in the Hebrew. Whenever you see I am at the end of the word, it means it's plural. So it says in the beginning, God, and this is automatically referring to the Godhead, the Trinity, if you will. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the Godhead, the Trinity, created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's more than just one heaven. Physically speaking, you know, you have the air that we breathe up to the sky, and you know, and that's one heaven. Then you have it divided even further into like the stratosphere and the troposphere, and you know, all these different spheres that make up our our um, environment, that make up our atmosphere. And then outside of that, you have outer space, or you have space, which you have first of all the space that's confined within our solar system and then right outside the solar system beyond pluto beyond the kuiper belt is intergalactic space so there's physically speaking there's different heavens so heavens is plural spiritually speaking it's also plural because paul was caught caught up to the third heaven where god is and that's a spiritual realm that's a spiritual dimension that's a spiritual domain so in the beginning god created the heavens plural and the earth now let's jump down to verses 14 through 19 and it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. They will serve as signs. Signs, and that's what we're going to be getting into today, is signs. They're going to be for signs, and they're going to be for festivals. So you want to learn about God's festivals, the Feast of the Lord, not the Jewish Feast, not the Hebrews Feast, the Feast of the Lord. So therefore, if you serve the Lord, you love the Lord, you, those are your feasts too. 
So you want to know what's important, what days and what festivals are important to God. You want to take a look at his personal calendar. Go to Leviticus 23, and starting with the weekly celebration of Sabbath, it'll go in through the through the, um, the, the, the spring festivals and then into the fall festivals. And all the festivals, all the feasts of the Lord that are important to God, these are God's moedim. That's what the word festival is, a moedim. And a more accurate translation of moedim is the appointed times. Or the dates. I mean, have you ever like uh, been out on a blind date, and you go to this restaurant and you're waiting for your blind date to show up? Have you ever been stood up? <laughs> they never showed. Well, God says these are my appointed times. These are the dates that I promise that I'm going to meet with my people. The question is, is His people going to meet with Him? So it says they will be for signs, for festivals, for days and years. So we know that the days are regulated by the sun. Our secular calendar is a solar calendar, 365 days, unless you're talking about a leap year. And uh, once you know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that's a day. From from evening to evening is it designates a biblical Hebraic day. Whereas uh, in the Western world, the secular world, midnight to midnight is designated a day. But it's the sun that regulates that. And uh, so seven times you see the sun going through that cycle, it makes a week. Uh, 365 times it makes a year. So it says the lights, um, so it says that uh, the lights will be for signs, for festivals, for days, and for years. Verse 15. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day. And of course, that's the sun because the, the sun is just a mass of incandescent gas that's burning at, you know, billion degrees and it generates its own light. So it takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to reach our eyes here on Earth. So if 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 there was a light switch on the sun and somebody turned out the lights, we wouldn't know it until eight minutes later, because at the speed of light, it takes eight minutes from the light to leave the sun to reach our eyes here on earth. So it says uh, there will be uh, the two greater lights, one to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night. So that's talking about the moon and the moon does not generate light of itself. It, it reflects light from the sun. So it's kind of interesting that the sun rules the day, but in a sense it kind of rules the night too because the, the, the moon cannot produce its own light. It only reflects the light of the sun. And as believers in Messiah Yeshua, you know, Yeshua is the son of God and he is the light of the world. And all we do, we are his image bearers. We are his light bearers. We reflect that light. So we're kind of like the moon in that in that analogy, in that scenario. And then it says, as well as the stars. Other translation says, and he made the stars also. That's what we're going to be talking about because it's the stars uh, that a lot of times are designated as the signs. Verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to dominate the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, then morning, the fourth day. So as I already said, we're going to be talking about the constellations. So let me kind of set things up here. Now, there are um, three sets of constellations. Now, within these three sets of constellations are four constellations. So there's one set of four, a second set of four, and a third set of four. All right, within these four constellations, each four 
or within these three sets of constellations, each of the four constellations within the set have three deacons, uh, three other constellations that are paired with the main uh, constellation, and it tells a story. It unfolds a story. It tells us a tale. I know this is a little bit confusing, but hang with me. So you have three sets of four constellations. And within these four sets of constellations, within each of uh, the three sets, uh, each four of the constellations have three deacons, three deacon constellations that go along with it. So you have three times four, which equals 12. So that is the 12 signs of the zodiac. And that's what we're going to be dealing with uh, today. Now, there's three books that I would like to recommend to you for further study to dive much deeper than I can go in on this podcast. But uh, two of these books are fairly old. They were written quite a while ago. And one of them is called The Gospel in the Stars by Joseph A. Seiss. The Gospel in the Stars by Joseph A. Seiss. The second is The Witness of the Stars by E.W. Bullinger. The Witness of the Stars by E.W. Bullinger. The third book is The Real Meaning of the Zodiac by Dr. D. James Kennedy. The Real Meaning of the Zodiac by Dr. D. James Kennedy. So look those up. Find those books. Uh, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad that you have them in your collection of books because it, it really unfolds the true meaning of the constellations and of the Zodiac and of the deacons. And, and, and it actually tells of the gospel and the stars. The whole word of God is written out in pictorial form within the constellations and the stars. And hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll reveal that to you uh, over the next coming podcast. But uh, first of all, I want to go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And it said, a great sign. There's that word again, sign, that we read in you know, Genesis 1.14. That the, the, the moon and the stars, uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars will serve as signs. And so it says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This is speaking of a constellation and where the sun is, where the sun is positioned inside this constellation, where the moon is in proximity to this constellation. So it's really telling us a very specific time. If you had all the computer models to be able to to make everything line up, just as it says here in the word of God. So it says a great sign appeared in the heavens, a woman. Who's the woman? It's Virgo, the virgin. So a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and twelve a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and in agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. Again, talking about a constellation, talking about stars. There was a fiery, or a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Stars, when you're talking about literal stars, stars are often allegorically or idiomatically referring to the angels. Now, there is a constellation that does take up a third of the heaven, and it's called Draco the dragon, and his tail uh, uh, spreads a third uh, across the sky. So when you know, you're filming the sky, and you're filming the constellation of Draco, and you do this little time-lapse photography or filming, it looks like the sky is moving when it's actually the earth that's moving, but it looks like the sky is rotating. 
And as it does, you'll see the tail of, uh, of Draco the dragon sweep across the sky. And, it's, and, and, and he's taking a third of the stars with him. But this is also alluding to and symbolic of the fall of Satan, that when he took a third of the angelic host who rebelled against God and joined uh, Satan's rebellion, and they were all thrown down out of heaven to the earth. So verse 4, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that, she, uh, so that when she did give birth, he might devour the child. But she gave birth to a son, a male, who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. Obviously, obviously this is talking about Yeshua the Messiah, because the constellation is Virgo the Virgin. She had a, she's a virgin, but she had a son. So this son is the Messiah, the virgin born. It says he's a male who's going to shepherd. Well, John chapter 10 talks about Yeshua being the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of all nations. Uh, he's going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. We know that Yeshua is going to come and rule and reign over all the earth, not just Israel, but over all the earth at one at some point in time during the millennial reign and even into eternity. And it says, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Where is Yeshua right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the father. So her child was caught up to God to the throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, and there she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. Verse 7, then a war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but they could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The one who deceived the whole world. He was thrown to earth. And that's where Genesis 1-1 comes in. Uh, 1 and 2. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Period. So the fall happened right after that. That we just talked about in Revelation uh, chapter 12. And it says, now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. So the world was in chaos. What caused it to be in chaos? The casting out of Satan and his uh, rebellious angelic horde to the earth, which caused it to be formless and void and empty and chaotic. So it says um, in Revelation 12, 9, So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceived the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Now, let's go to the oldest book in the Bible, which is not Genesis, surprisingly enough. I mean, it's oldest in, in as far as what it's recording, what it's talking about, because it's talking about the beginning and the creation of all things. But actually, Genesis wasn't the first book of the Bible that was written, to the shock of, may, uh, of many. It was actually the book of Job. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, the oldest book that is written uh, in the biblical canonical scriptures. So in Job chapter 9, verse 9, it says, He, God, made the stars. The bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. So we know that there's the southern hemisphere, the northern hemisphere, and different sets of zodiac signs, different sets of stars during different seasons and different times of the year shows up in those parts of the sky. So this is talking about the southern sky, and it talks about the bear. You're like, eh, I'm not so familiar with the bear. I didn't know the bear was a constellation. You'll know it as the Big Dipper. The Big Dipper is the bear. 
You also have Orion and the Pleiades, which is called the Seven Sisters, and the constellations of the Southern Sky. So it's mentioned in Job 9.9, but it's also mentioned in Job chapter 38, Job chapter 38, verse 31. And that reads, where God is basically speaking to Job and challenging Job, he says, Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Verse 32, can you bring out the constellations, the zodiac, if you will, in their seasons and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose it, uh, its authority on earth? Very interesting. Very interesting that the oldest book in the Bible specifically talks about the constellations that we know. Now, obviously, if it's mentioned in Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, the constellations were named and known prior to the Greeks kind of taking ownership of it and creating their whole story of the pantheon of, of the Greek mythos out of those zodiac signs and constellations. Now, it's interesting, too, we know that a lot of the stars and constellations have Greek names, but a lot of the stars actually have Arabic names and even Hebrew names, which is very interesting. Okay, let's get into the first four constellations. Remember, there are three sets of four. You know, three times four is 12. That makes the signs of the zodiac. So we're going to be dealing with the first four constellations, and each constellation, main constellation, has three deacons that follow it or that help tell the story of the main constellation. So the first one uh, we're going to be dealing with that we usually see in September, usually in the fall, and the modern Hebrew calendar uh, begins the fall feast of the Lord. And the fall feast of the Lord hints about the coming of the Messiah. Specifically, the first coming of the Messiah and the spring feast talk about the, the, uh, uh, um, the second coming of the Messiah. Actually, they kind of both do. The fall festivals also talk about the second coming of the Messiah, but there's also parts of it that talks about the first coming of the Messiah as well. So, okay, uh, let's get right on into it. All right, so the first constellation that we run into is the one that we've already mentioned in regards to Revelation 12. It's Virgo the Virgin. So Virgo the Virgin, and in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is that prophecy of the virgin birth of Messiah. Now, there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of upset saying, well, that's not what that's about because this is a prophecy uh, uh, about, uh, you know, an earthly king having an earthly son. Yes, that's true. But all prophecy in Scripture is multifaceted. They have at least four interpretations, <clears throat> four interpretations of Scripture. So one prophecy could be addressing Two different things simultaneously. So yes, it's prophesying that there's going to be an earthly king that's going to have a son, but it's also alluding to, hinting at, the prophecy of the virgin birth of the Messiah. So it says here in um, Isaiah 7.14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. There's that word again, a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. And we find out later that the name Emmanuel means God is with us. And in John 1, it talks about the word becoming flesh and tabernacling or dwelling among us. That's God with us, right? So it was prophesied in Isaiah 7:14, fulfilled in John 1. So this Virgo the Virgin, in the constellation, she's pictured as a woman bearing a branch in her right hand. The right hand symbolizes favor. So this branch represents Yeshua the Messiah, because in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, 
Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This branch is the Messiah. This branch is the branch that the virgin is holding in this constellation because it's the right hand is favor. The Messiah is the chosen one, the anointed one, the favored one. And Nazar uh, is, is a Hebrew word for branch. And the prophecy says he will also be called a Nazarene, not just because of the town he comes from, but because he's the branch. And that word branch or Nazar also alludes to that he's going to be a guardian, a type of guardian. So in her left hand, she's bearing an ear of corn. The left hand represents judgment. And the ears of corn represent seed because it's the kernels of corn that we use as seed to produce more corn. So this refers back to the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. Now, Genesis 3.15 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, there's a seed war going on. Seed of the serpent, seed of the woman. But it's kind, of an, it's kind of odd because women have eggs. They don't have seed. So the seed of the woman, even in Genesis 3.15, is alluding to a virgin birth, interestingly enough. So uh, this is what the, uh, the, ear, the ears of corn, the seed that comes from the corn uh, that, the, that Virgo the virgin is holding in her left hand symbolizes. It symbolizes uh, the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 of the seed war. So this promised seed of the woman will be victorious over the serpent, as we will see later in another constellation. So now that we've got Virgo the Virgin out of the way, let's deal with the uh, three deacons that surround her, that follow her. You have Coma, which is called the Desired, and it's a picture of a woman and the child. And Haggai uh, 2.7 talks about uh, this child that comes from the woman being the desired of all nations that Yeshua the Messiah is going to be the desired of all nations. So this is Coma. Then you have um, the, the second deacon, which is Centaurus. Now, Centaurus is a centaur, and a centaur is a being that has a, a, uh, that is a creature of two natures. So it's half horse, half man. The bottom half is a horse. The upper half is that of a man. And this symbolizes the two natures of Messiah that he's going to be divine and human. He's going to be 100% God to have the power to redeem us from our sins, but 100% man to have that right to be our kinsman redeemer. He's going to have two natures. And so this centaur is holding a spear, uh, which is piercing a victim. And this symbolizes the despised sin offering. And so moving on to the, the third deacon of the constellation, Virgo the Virgin is Boates or Boutes, which is a man walking bearing a branch. And this man walking bearing a branch means he cometh. It means he cometh. So, you know, there is a man that's going to be holding a branch and he's going to say he cometh. Who does that sound like to you? To me, to me, that sounds like John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is the forerunner of Messiah. He's the one who, who Isaiah prophesied that's going to run ahead and, and tell about the Messiah. So the Messiah we see in this, this, this picture of the constellations is the branch. He's the one that's holding a branch and running with the branch. And he's saying, he's cometh, he cometh. Who cometh? The branch cometh. And what did John the Baptist say when he saw Yeshua? He says, behold, he cometh. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this, four, this um, first 
four uh, constellations uh, of, of Virgo the Virgin, and then you have Libra the Scales, then you have Scorpio the Scorpion, and then Sagittarius the Archer. These are the first four constellations. We dealt with the first one, Vir Virgo the Virgin, which, which depicts the first coming of Messiah, the promised Redeemer. Now moving on to the second uh, uh, the, the, the second constellation when the, within this four, uh, this first four set is Libra, the scales. Now this speaks of the atoning work of Messiah, Libra, the scales with its three deacons speak of the atoning work of the redeemer. So Libra, the scales, this is the price deficient balanced by the price that covers. So we can't pay for our sins. We always come up. We always come up shortchanged. We always come up deficient. We have been weighed in the scales and found wanting, so we can never measure up. So it's going to take Messiah to pay the price, the cost of our sin. He's the one who can bring balance to the scales, right? So this is what Libra represents. So the first uh, Virgo the Virgin is the first coming of the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. What's this Redeemer going to do? He's going to do the work of atonement. This work of atonement is going to set the scales in balance. He's going to make the scales correct. So the first deacon within the, the, the constellation of Libra, the scales, is crooks. Crooks means the cross. How much more obvious can you get? So this is, this is crooks, which is the cross that endures, or the enduring of the cross. So how is the atoning work of the Redeemer going to take place to balance the scales? He's going to endure punishment and suffering on the cross on our behalf. And that's what Crooks, um, the, the, the deacon Crooks, is all about. Now, we know that, as I said, the branch is the Messiah. We relate it to, to John the Baptist where he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, we know that the Passover lamb represents the Messiah as well. It's, it's, it's a living word picture of the redemption of the Messiah. And even the, the Passover lamb which in biblical times was roasted over a fire. It was put on a spit. Um, it was a cruciform lamb. You would split the lamb from chest to, to uh, stomach and spread the arms out on a separate, uh, on a separate um, branch, if you will, on a separate stake or a separate uh, a cross piece, and it was attached to the, the spit. So the lamb would have its arms spread out because this would cause the chest and the stomach cavity to open up, where the entrails would be taken out and wrapped around the head of the lamb, which kind of reminds you of the, of the crown of thorns. Now, what they did with the feet to secure the feet, they would crisscross them over the, each other and tie it on to the spit. So even the lamb looked like it was crucified. So that's all pictured in the crooks. The second deacon of Libra, the scales, is lupus, or also called victima. And this is, uh, this is the picture of a victim slain. And the victim is often depicted as a slain lamb. See, we, it goes right along with the cross. Now, the third and final deacon within Libra, the scales, is corona. Now, that may sound very familiar to you because the, the word coronavirus is, is being thrown around quite a lot lately. And the reason it's called a coronavirus is because there's little spikes on this virus that makes it look like a crown, the spikes of a crown. So corona is the crown bestowed. Now, the crown bestowed to who? The one who's doing the atoning work, the redeemer who's doing the atoning work, the one who balances the scales, the one who endures the affliction of the cross, the one who has been slain. Because he has been slain, he gains the victory, he, he pays the price, he overcomes, so he's going to be bestowed with a crown. Now, this also speaks to the crown of thorns. 
because that's part of the price or the atoning work of the Redeemer, the crown of thorns. But it, that crown of thorns is going to be transformed into a victor's crown because we know that this, this slain lamb is going to be that lamb in Revelation where it talks about that there was a lamb uh, who had a, had a crown. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look at it. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, stop crying and look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. And so this lion of the tribe of Judah in verse 6 is now called the lamb. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. All right, so, and then there's this song about the worthiness of the lamb. You were worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slaughtered. You redeemed the people with your blood. And then in verse 11, it says, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power, riches, uh, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory. So we see the crown of thorns is going to be transformed into a crown of rulership. Okay, moving on to the third constellation in our first set of four. And uh, this one is themed, The Conflict Faced by the Redeemer. The Conflict Faced by the Redeemer. And this, uh, the first constellation that we're going to be dealing with, or the main constellation of this, uh, of this uh, subject, is Scorpio the Scorpion. Now, Scorpio the Scorpion, um, which seeks to wound, but it itself is crushed underfoot. It seeks to wound, but it itself is crushed underfoot, which brings us right back to Genesis 3.15 again, that prophecy. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So Scorpio, the scorpion, represents a serpent because both of them strike. Both of them have venom. Both of them have striking power. And just as you crush the head of a serpent under your foot, you crush a scorpion under your foot when you see it. Now, in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, see if we can find it here really quick. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, talks about a scorpion. Look, this is Yeshua talking. I have given you authority to trample on snakes, not only snakes, but scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing ever will harm you. So snakes and scorpions represent the devil, represent Satan, represents the enemy. And it says that God has given us authority over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and that nothing will harm you. All right, so that's Scorpio the scorpion, which is under the heading, the conflict faced by the redeemer. So we know that this redeemer is going to crush that scorpion under his feet. It's going to be a struggle. And in the process, his heel is going to get struck, but he's still going to crush this scorpion. Now, the first deacon uh, in Scorpio is Sepens, S-E-P-E-N-S, probably butchered that pronunciation, but this is a picture in the stars of a serpent struggling with a man. So it's the serpent that's always trying to overcome the seed of the woman, always overcome this redeemer, this, this man, this two-natured man. So we see the struggle there. And then the second deacon is Opiuchus, or Ophiuchus. Probably butchered that too, but this 
this picture in the stars is a man grasping and struggling with a serpent. Now, in Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 2, it says, He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss, and closed it and sealed it up so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. So here is Opiochus or Ophiochus. It's the man grasping and struggling with the serpent. Now, the third deacon in the constellation Scorpius is Hercules. Who was Hercules? Yeah, he was the strongest man. But who was Hercules? He was a son of the gods. He was part god. He had a dual nature. He was part god, part man. So Hercules is, is actually prophesying or, or, or pointing us to Yeshua who has a dual nature, who's fully God and fully man. So this Hercules is pictured with his foot on the head of a dragon, holding aloft the spoils of victory. So we know that, that this struggle with this serpent and with the scorpion, that Yeshua, the two-natured God-man redeemer, is going to finally put the head of this snake, this scorpion, this serpent, under his feet, just as it's pictured in Hercules. Uh, and Hercules is holding aloft the victory of spoils. What's the victory of spoils? Our eternal salvation, our eternal redemption. All right, so now, the fourth and final constellation within this first set of four um, is Sagittarius the Archer, and the heading for Sagittarius and its three deacons is the triumph of the prophesied redeemer the triumph of the prophesied redeemer so sagittarius once again you have a a um uh, a dual natured character a dual natured character sagittarius the archer it's it's this centaur this half 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 beast half man creature who has you know a, a bow and arrow so sagittarius the archer is the two natured man with bow in hand and going out and to conquer so the whole so after the redemption, conquering is to take place by this redeemer, by this by this Messiah, all right. And Revelation pictures often Yeshua coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, which the sword represents the word of God. Well, the the, the bow and arrow kind of represents the word of God too, because to sin means to miss the mark, and miss the mark is an archery term. To miss the mark, to miss the target. So if you're living by the Word of God, using the Word of God, in Christ, in the Word of God, you're going to hit the mark. Just like the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When you swing it, it's going to strike and it's going to hit. It's going to divide soul and spirit, right? So there's, there's those two things that meet there. Now, the three deacons in Sagittarius, you have Lyra, the harp, and this depicts praise for the two-natured conqueror. And we see through Revelation that two natures in the lion and the lamb calling the line of the tribe of Judah, then he looks like a lamb that's slain, but it says, you, but, the, but they start praising this slain lamb. You are worthy, you are worthy. So we know that the lyre of the harp represents praise for this two-natured conqueror. Uh, the second deacon is uh, Ara, the altar. And what's put on the altar? Fire. This represents the fiery judgment against the enemies of the Redeemer. And in Revelation 19 through 20, we see how... Satan and the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, the image of the beast, and, and all those, they're going to be uh, cast into the lake of fire. They're going to be, and that's going to be eternal judgment. And that's what Ara, the altar, represents. 
Next, you have the third and final deacon in Sagittarius, which is Draco the Dragon. And uh, Draco the Dragon, as we've already established through this teaching, represents Satan himself, the old serpent, the devil, who was cast down and cast out of heaven. So Sagittarius, representing the two-natured uh, Redeemer, the God-man, the conqueror, this is the triumph of the prophesied Redeemer. He's going to triumph over the serpent. He's going to triumph over the scorpion. And he's going to not only conquer them, but to judge them. They're going to be cast into fire, fiery judgment. All right, that takes care of the first four constellations and their companion deacons. And so we're going to stop right here, and next week we're going to get into the second four constellations and their meanings and what gospel story they tell uh, within the stars that make up uh, that make up the constellations that they are. So thank you so much for joining me for the Rabbinic Pastors Podcast. This is Rabbi Yehuda Ben Shomer, also known as Pastor Chris Shoemaker, signing off. Shalom and God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.